Officer down! I repeat, Officer down! Welcome to 1033. This podcast was created in an effort to create community connection and conversation around mental health. It was originally created by a first responder for first responders. However, the lessons learned through life experience transcend these roles. Join us as we aim to reduce the stigma around mental health and create a safe environment for you, the listener, to reflect on the journey as others share their story. The success of this project is a result of the direct support from the listeners and from corporations. This support directly translates to increasing the quality of the podcast that I am ultimately able to provide to you. I would like to take a quick moment to hear from our sponsors who believe in this project. CanaConnect's mission is to empower military and RCMP veterans on their holistic journey to wellness through community, conversation, and medical cannabis education. CanaConnect is committed to providing opportunities to engage with supportive communities across the country at their wellness lounges from coast to coast. Drop in any time to grab a coffee, meet their team, and enjoy fulfilling conversations with like-minded people. CanaConnect understands that healing requires a holistic approach, which is why they put so much emphasis into connection and the community. CanaConnect leads with compassion and care to ensure that everyone in the community is able to learn, heal, and thrive while working to end the stigma around mental health. Thank you to our sponsors for continuing to make this project a success. Welcome back to 1033. Today I have a very interesting guest. He's slowly becoming a good friend because we've been connected now for quite some time. His name is Byron McLean. He's from the East Coast. And he, from 1998 to 2008, was a member of the Canadian Armed Forces. He did three tours in Afghanistan. He then went on to leave that position, that role, and he moved over to the RCMP as a Mountie. And he was a Mountie from 2009 to 2021. He retired just this last April in 2021. Now, the story of service doesn't end there. He has continued to give back to his community, but in a much different role now, in a much different fashion. He's now an ambassador to CanaConnect, and he's also an RCMP liaison. Byron, it's it's absolutely amazing to finally have you on the podcast. Uh, season three is very much geared towards how we help others uh, and who's doing that in the community to make sure the RCMP out there have the proper supports in place to navigate through the troubled waters of post-traumatic stress or mental health issues as a result of first responder trauma. So first off, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot there, uh, Nathan. Um it's finally good that we're able to connect like this. I know we've been on the phone there back and forth quite a few times. So I think we have, it's been a pretty good, it's been a roller coaster of a year, but to get uh, hooked up with you in uh, 1033. Yeah. I'm pretty excited to be here. So thanks very much. I first came across, I think it was you and Steve glowed. You, you popped up on my phone and you guys were doing something for CanaConnect and I was blown away by the vulnerability and authenticity that while you both sat there and talked about, uh, some of the struggles that you had had through life in how CanaConnect now was geared towards, uh, not just being a medical cannabis company, but also trying to pay back and invest in the community because they see a very real need to, uh, help others 
Uh, and that that actually caught my eye at first. And that's kind of how I reached out to you. Now, before we go down the path of where you're at right now in life, I'd love to kind of go back and talk about uh, your past uh, getting up into the military and the RCMP. Uh, and we'll kind of focus there for right now. And I kind of want to focus too on how, you know, who you were prior to the military, why you got into the military and how that started to maybe slowly impact you. And then what motivated you to join the Mounties? You know what? <laughs> Sit back. You're going to get a little, you're going to get a little chuckle out of this. So, you know, I'm originally from uh, Glace Bay, Cape Breton. And that's just a small little place over here in Nova Scotia. We call it an island. Well, it's connected by the causeway now, so I guess we're not we're not an island anymore. But you know what? We really it's it's very it's a very different culture over there. Uh, you know what? I come from a blue collar family. Uh, my father was a welder. My mom was a seamstress. And um, you know, growing up there, you know what? Back in those days, it was, it was just fun. Uh, fun. You did typical teenage shit of that time. Um, but throughout the, uh, there was one spe- specific time. I remember my, my father was taking me out on a job, uh, a welding job. And it was actually at the barracks, uh, the reserve barracks, uh, two NSH, which would be the, uh, second, bata- uh, second battalion or second regiment of North Scotia Highlanders. And, uh, we were doing there and there was a bunch of, there was a bunch of fellas that were out doing some, uh, PT physical training. My dad looked over at me and he goes, uh, you should turn around and do that. And I'm like, no way I'm doing that. I'm not getting involved in people's wars. That's that. I don't, I don't believe in that. Fast forward. Then we go through the years. Uh, you know what? To be honest with you, I started getting really good into the drinking and the party scene. Living at home. I tried university. I hated it. I probably lasted about 30 days there. And I was just working really basically some dead end jo- jobs. And not really living up to my potential. Uh, you know, and literally what happened, mom and dad had enough. Hey, I was I was 18 years old at the time. And dad drove me right down to the recruiting center for the for the military. Dropped me off. Said, I don't care what you're turning around doing, but you're not doing what you're doing at the house. Dropped me off, literally, at the, at the recruitment center. I go in there, and I don't even have a clue what's going on. I don't even know what the military is all about, a rank structure. And uh, I go in there. I'm like, I'm here to join the military. And they're like, okay, what do you want to join? And you got to take this aptitude test. I took the aptitude test and I scored. <laughs> what did I score? I scored. I don't think I scored that well, to be honest with you. Um, they said, okay, you can be an infanteer. You can be a tanker. You can be an artilleryman. I'm like, okay. Ironically enough, all those you only are uh, for infantry. I believe for infantry, you only needed grade 10. I did graduate. I said, well, they said, you want to see a video on infantry? I said, yeah, sure. So they popped in this VHS, and it showed all the cool stuff, the guns, the blowing up, you know, all the cool stuff that you see in the movies, right? I said, okay, I'll do that. And, I'll, yeah, the catchphrase was this. Do you like uh, camping, fishing, and hunting? I'm like, well, I like camping and fishing. I never hunt. But, yeah, I'm, get, I'm in. My camping consisted of a trailer. You know what I mean? And a fire and beer. That's my camping consisted of. So anyways, I went through the by. So I signed the line when I was 18 years old. And I went uh, to my basic training when I was, uh, when I just freshly turned 19. Sent me out to St. Jean, Quebec. First time I was out of basically Glace Bay. 
living in a freaking city. Quebec, out of all places, Montreal. I can barely speak English. So I went through all my training. I finished that basic training. And the side bet back home was people were actually making bets of when I was going to be coming back home. I passed basic training. And then I go out to uh, Meaford, Ontario. And that was... Uh, Meaford was uh, the main training area for... Um, we call it the RCR Battle School. And that is the Royal Canadian Regiment. That was the regiment that I was going to be going with. I went out there. I was out to Meaford. I think it was like six months. And wow... Now that was something else. I thought basic training was hard. No, no. Battle school for infantry was hard. I went through my training and I bear, you know, I had some difficulties. Boy, oh boy, did I have some difficulties. Um, and it was a drinking culture back then, even in the military. I made it through my battle school. And then I go and I get posted to the 2nd Battalion, the Royal Canadian Regiment in uh, Gagetown, in Ramapto. And I spent 10 years there. And I have to say... It was some of the best times of my life, but also some of my worst. Um, so during that time, um, I met lots of, uh, I call them brothers. Dennis LeBlanc being one of them, uh, Trevor Bungie, Brian Lawler, I, uh, Jeff House, uh, Daryl Bradley. These are just some main people that I'm just naming out just because I figure I just named them out because they were literally my, my brothers, Jimmy Oakley, um, amazing people. And then we, uh, I was there for a couple of years, like we were there doing, just doing training. And then we got the, then when 9-11 happened, wow, life changed for me in 9-11. Uh, it wasn't too sure that that's when Canada was starting to, Canada was starting to put their foot forward into Afghanistan. Uh, a buddy of mine, Darcy Grosinger, he's, he was with the uh, PP Sillide, Prince of Patricia Canadian Light Infantry. They were the first ones to go over in 2003. And then I was shortly gone, oh, back, I was, no, sorry, 2000. No, they were not 2003. They were there very shortly thereafter. I'll make that correction. I know I went over there in 2003. That was my first deployment to Afghanistan. And that was a, that was a setup. That was a, that was a culture shock to me in many ways. It was, it was getting real, you know, before we were, you know, this was the potential. Now I remember our first warning order that we got and the first warning order we got, we're in camp, and we we were like in modular tents. We weren't in any seat, you know, anything hard structure. We barely had rocket walls put up, sandbags. And our first one was, uh, yeah, here we go. Uh, there's, uh, there's, we have uh, information the Taliban is going to be. They have rockets, and they're planning on putting it into the camp. I didn't sleep for a day. Didn't sleep. And then you get used to it over there, and you get close to everybody. And we completed that deployment. And then in 05, 06, 2005, 2006, we transitioned over into uh, ISAF, I believe it was, International Security Alliance Force. And um, I, went on, I went on deployment again to Afghanistan. This one was a longer one. This was an eight-month tour. And uh, we were, I started off in Kabul. Well, my first tour was all in Kabul. Then my second tour was... Half of it was in Kabul, and then we transitioned down into Kandahar. And we got everything all set up, and that's when the the battle group started rolling in after that. Um, that's And then our role there changed. We, we, were, we, we changed. Our role changed completely. We were, it's kind of funny with the infantry we were closed with and destroy the enemy. Well, that, that's, that stuff got real. Um, and then I went over. I came back, and a year later, I went on, on Task Force 107, 
And that was one of our dead. That was that was the second battalion's deadliest deployment. We lost a lot of people on that deployment. Now uh, that was that was that, that was something else. I there's no words to describe that. Um, I was in already in. The, I was actually in the middle of recruiting for the RCMP at that time, and I had to put my application on hold because I had to be deployed over to Afghanistan. Um, then I completed that tour, and then I went boom right into. Um, I got promoted to Master Corporal, and then I went right into uh, the RCMP. No time to de decompress. So three tours, no decompression, no services available, no nothing. And I jump jump into the RCMP. Looking back on it now, well, I can see how I was even acting during my recruitment during my uh, depot training, and uh, and how things were. I'm surprised I pulled out 12 years with the RCMP, to be honest with you. Um, so I did the RCMP. I graduated, did really well with the RCMP. Um, my first post was out to uh, Goose Bay, Happy Valley Goose Bay, Newfoundland, Labrador, specifically Labrador. I did a year there, and then I went to a community called Sheshashi. Um, that was uh, three years there. So that's just about... 45, 35 kilometers north of uh, Goose Bay. I spent three years there. And then I took a post. Uh, then after that term was done, I took a post out to the Yukon, a five-year commitment. I went to Whitehorse for three years. And then I went to a nice little community called Faro Yukon. Did two years there. And that brings me up to 2018. And in 2018, I got posted out of there. I got posted to uh, Wolfville uh, Detachment here in uh, Numinus. And uh, that's when everything kind of fell apart and I had to make a choice and retire. Um, it's probably some key things to that. And, you know, uh, Nathan, I know before we spoke, you said there's nothing off the table here and there's not. And, you know, I'm going to, I am going to share something here in regards to that, if that's okay. Um, so basically... There was a breaking point in 2014 where I looked down the barrel of my gun. And that was a very tough time. Um, I put pressure on that trigger. And the only thing that stopped me from pulling that trigger was a picture of my son. And then I got called to it. And I was in, I was in uniform. My, my, my family and my wife, they, they were away in Newfoundland for visiting. I was by myself. I was in uniform, full uniform, and uh, I was just in my in my uh, in my house having a break. And I was just I, I had a it was a tough night that night. And uh, like domestics, you you can name it whatever you 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 can pretty well picture everything what's going on there. And uh, I took the uh, I took I I looked took out my service pistol, looked down it. I seen the rifling, seen the uh, seen the hollow point there. Put pressure, seven pounds of pressure it needs to take to turn around and put that, to take that round off. I say I probably have a three and a half on it. And then what happened? I seen a picture of my son in the corner and then a call of the domestic came in. And I went and responded to the domestic. No one knew. And then after I was done the domestic, it was a pretty bad one though. I was driving back. I was driving back to the detachment. I had to pull the police car off. I thought I was literally having a heart attack. I got out of the police car in the middle of White, downtown Whitehorse and ripped off all my gear. 
because I thought I was having a heart attack. And I'm like saying, what the heck is a heart attack? I was fit. And then after I gathered myself up, put my gear back on, it wasn't even five minutes later, I was pulling over a vehicle and, you know, doing a traffic stop for an impaired. Um, then after that, some things kind of went downhill after that. And then my, there was a, there was something that happened at the house. Me and, well, me and my spouse, we got into an argument about something. And my wife turned around and said, like, Byron, you need to, you need to go get some help. Like things are, things are not, uh, not right with you. So I, I checked myself into a hospital and that was my first, that was my first time off, uh, from two, uh, I was off for six months, worked myself back and I pulled out another five more years. And then here in, uh, in Wolfville happened again, I spiraled out of control and things weren't going right. And that almost happened again, but I had a little bit more self-awareness at that time. I had some tools in my tool belt that I was able to access and i came home one day i got off for shift one day as after my my appointment i looked at my wife i said i'm done i went to work and i had my uh, watch commander joe frazier come up my best one of my best buddies earl davison come up i said i need to talk to you guys and uh so what happened i, I wrote a letter i read it to them and i said like that's it i'm done and i handed them my gun belt and I never looked back, never got my, I, I said, that was it. And Earl turned around and told me, he goes, when you hand me your gun belt, I knew we were done. So that's, and then it was two years after that between 20. Yeah. So I've been off now. I've been done now for basically for two years. 2020 is when I went off sick and 2021 is when I retired. And here you are today. Amazing how the story can continue and grow into a healthy space. Uh, we just talked about suicide and some very real things. Your story runs deep, and I want to I want to back up a little bit here to when you were in the military. What what kind of healing had happened as you were leaving the military and you went into the RCMP, or had any healing happened at all? Or what was your awareness into some of the stuff you had experienced and how it was impacting you then? None. Like none whatsoever. The culture in the military to deal with things is suck it up, buttercup and move on. Uh, You know, and you know, that's, and I don't blame, like, I don't blame my leadership for that. I don't blame anything for that. That's just the culture, right? When you're done, like when I was done my deployments, we just go get pissed. We just piss it up all the time. Piss it. And we would work things out that way. Was it the right way to turn around and do it? No. Jeez, it wasn't. My first tour to Afghanistan, they handed me a leave pass after I was done and say, okay, go on, leave. Then my second tour, they kind of got a little bit smarter about it. Not much, though. They just put us in a hotel room. We just drank our faces off for three days. And then the third tour, after the third tour, I think things were starting to get recognized a little bit. It still was the same thing, though. It's just that we had some mandatory people to talk that, that we had to go sit on, like, three different seminars. And it was, it was just something mandatory that we had to turn around and do before we go back to the pool and get pissed off again. And that's how you, that's how you, dealt, that's how you dealt with it. When I came home, though, I, I can honestly say, though, when I came home, I was thankful enough that I didn't, I didn't, I don't, I didn't have a drinking problem. Um, you know, I was very fortunate enough that, um, I didn't go down that road. I think it very well could have been easy to go, but I had my wife too at the same time. And she was very, very, she was very, very supportive. And, uh, she was able to, you know, be there for me when I, when I needed her. 
even when I didn't know I needed her, I didn't know things were going off the rails. But I think back on things how I was, I'm like, oh, geez, but I was going off the rails. I hated sunny days. I hated, I, I prefer nice gloomy days. I didn't have the same zest for life. Put me in a lineup with people. I was ready to, I was, I, I was ready to like <laughs> do some things that were very, very, I was very aggressive, very, very aggressive. And, uh, and I was always chasing. And so when I joined the police, when I joined RCMP is almost kind of chasing that high, you know, you always want to be at that 10, never at that three. Right. And lo and behold, I was living at a, I was living at between a seven and 10, um, for, for 20 some years. Um, I had a nice, I, I had a nice, and I'm not saying each place has, each place has its danger, you know, uh, risks that you need to turn around and take, but I just didn't want to, when I joined the police force, I wanted to get, like, I wanted to get into it. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to go where it was really hard and hard for me would be, let's go up to the most austere environments that I can turn around and go up to up, up North. And I was so bored in Goose Bay in a sense that in Goose Bay was busy and like, there's no slight, it was busy there, but I wanted more. Let's send, let's send me to a community that is just off the charts Okay, let's let's go let's go to Sheshi. And I and I name these places because these were the places that I worked and I had my experiences in. And I'm like, let's go there. Let's be on call. Let's uh, get into really the nitty gritty. Let's get into like the the real good stuff, right? You know, like chasing people down and you know, having to be hands on with people and stuff like that. I said, let's go. And then I go up to Whitehorse. Uh, we were up in Whitehorse. We're supposed to be running watches of eight. We were actually, there's been times we were running with watches of four. That's including watch commander. And it'd be nothing in the summertime to take 30 calls in, in, in Whitehorse in a 12-hour shift. And you got to say, it's a population of 35,000 people. I remember one time we were, uh, and, and I say, and I reflect on these ones because it just shows how much you're trying to chase that adrenaline. You want to keep yourself up at that 10. Uh, I remember we had two domestics come in at the same time. And we know, do we go to domestics by ourselves? No, it's minimum two. I remember having to make a choice. And I remember talking to my partner over the radio. Kate, you and -and so-and-so go to that call because that is actually in progress with a weapon. And I'm going to go to the other domestic, but I'm going to, I'm going to, not take my time and go and rock lights and sirens, but I'm going to, you know, by the time I get there, that person should be already gone because that's the same thing. Those are the choices that we turn around and had to make. Were they right choices? No. Uh, you had to deal with resources the way it was. Um, and I don't mind saying these things, and I hope it gets a lot of criticism from people or whatever else like that. That's not on me. That's a resource issue. That's not a me issue. We just try to deal with what we had to deal with at that time because we wanted to come home so but there was no ever resources i've been to like yourself i've been to murders i've been to uh different things i i lost how many times i only had one debriefing i only had one debriefing and no one ever ever asked how you're doing and that's the culture that i want to try to change my experiences go into that as well uh, many times I had to breach policy 
because of the situation that I was in, the lack of resources. And it was just, there was no way around it other than to breach policy to ensure that there was not loss of life on a night when we were completely spread too thin. Uh, And again, this is very much on the RCMP. And I think early on, I started to recognize that the RCMP, while uh, they are a good police force, they do a great job of training us and getting us ready for the field, but there are such massive issues behind uh, behind the scenes that you don't really realize it until you become a mount, mounty and and the manpower is definitely one right, which then turns into this issue of you know burnout. Burnout happens a lot sooner, uh, and you get exposed to more trauma and more pressure cooker type of uh, situations as well. And I mean, this all seems to be such a common theme, and I'm glad that we're actually talking about it. So that other people, as they're in it right now, they can say, you know what, okay. I'm not just experiencing this thinking that I'm delusional or if I'm bringing forward concerns of a, an eight man detachment that constantly runs at half manpower for four members or even three, that's not healthy for you at all. It's not healthy. And I'm going to, and I will add one thing right here uh, with the RCMP. I've met some of the greatest people in the RCMP and I still have the opinion of this that the RCMP is the best police force out there. I do really want to say that. I had my ups and downs with them, but you're going to get that with anything um, or any police agency, right? Um, I, 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 I love it. But there is one thing, and it's being talked about, and a lot of things are coming to light. We as frontline members and you know, even up to the watch commander – and maybe all levels, but I can only speak to myself. Uh, you know, there was choices that had to be made that I had to make sure. It, you know how many, I, and maybe Nathan, you can turn around and say this. How many times have you gone to bed, gone to work, gone home, and you're wondering about that one call? Shit, did I get there fast enough? Or I didn't catch that person because of this or that. And you're like, you're up all night wondering, and you're going, to, you're going back into work the next day, and you're like, oh, thank God. You know what I mean? Like it's because you had to make choices on that in that time. And I really do believe that. I think uh, I will say this upper management, they need to, there needs to be an uh, overhaul and people need to start. They need to start realizing that the things that were being, that the positions that members were being put in because at the end of the day, the frontline member is the one that has to answer to it. That's all there is to it. It's our actions that are getting questioned. And and I think right now is there's no debriefing going on. There's no asking how you doing. There's no there's there it's starting to happen now. But when during my first part of the career there was nothing there to check in on members and see how they're doing. I don't know if the police force is properly equipped to deal with the mental health issues that are currently taking place. I know the internal strides that are happening right now with the RCMP in an effort to try and better support its members, better 
educate them through depot, through chaining. Uh, so there, there's some improvements, right? Like I have to give them credit where credit is due, but I also don't believe that they are best suited to look after the mental health of their own members, given the current environment with the staffing shortages, uh, with the police force spread across Canada, uh, with all of these different issues that are constantly taking place, right? We all know so many people that have walked a mile in these shoes. And I mean, we're branching away now from the military and talking just specifically about the RCMP right now in this moment. I don't have a lot of experience with the military, so I can't comment. But the RCMP, I don't believe that they are able to um, properly deal with this issue. I'm going to, I am going to agree with you on that. Do you know where I think I see the, um, I see the change from the ground up. Okay. Uh, out in Regina, they're doing this, they're, they're doing, they're doing some good things. They are implementing some really good things in there. Like we turn, I will give credit with credit still. I think like out in Regina, I think they have these uh, the recruits going through and they're monitoring them throughout their, I think first five years of their service and and I think that's in gathering studies from that I think that's awesome. I want to be a little bit controversial here. People, the the mental health aspect and the wellness of the members is going to come from the ground up. It's going to come from people with our years of service. I'm going to tell you the reason why. I think there's a lot of officers in the higher ranks that have their own issues and they're not addressing their issues. And therefore, that's a funnel effect that goes down. Um, there is a lot of people in upper management that have seen a lot of things that are not dealing with it. There has been a couple of officers that have come out, and I give them hats. I give I give them props. There was one. Uh, there was one officer over Newfoundland Labrador, and he's and he's uh, he's he's up there. He's up there in the senior management. And I'm like, when he came out with this article. And I want to send it to you, Nathan, actually. My wife's I was like blown away. I'm like, that, you know what, for the officer corps, that it's either he's on his way out or he just don't care because he just basically kind of, you know, career suicide there. Um, so I see the changes from people like, unfortunately, I wasn't able to, I'm trying to do it in adult and other form, but I know lots of members that are, that is putting their mental health forward and it's pumping it up the chain of the command. And they're, they're acting on it. They're checking in with their watchmates. They're that you see the new watch commander is saying, Hey, how's it going? Or what, how are you doing? You see the people on the watches, your watchmates saying, are you okay? People, it's being normalized at the lower level and it's going to eventually get filtered up because these people eventually get promoted up the chain. And hopefully that'll turn around and say from the top down though, it's all checks and balances. And I believe that there's a lot of officers and senior management that are just not addressing your stuff. So if they're not looking after themselves, how can they look after us? Yeah. And, and I, to build on that even further too, like I think, I think a lot of the younger uh, individuals that get into policing are obviously very still compassionate and empathetic and helping their colleagues uh, as they go through these hard calls. And then eventually right around that five to 10 year span of service, uh, if you don't have service beyond that, uh, beyond the Mounties, you start to go through a bit of compassion fatigue or 
burnout, right? Um, and it becomes very difficult now for you not only to maintain your own mental health and look out for it, but others as well. And that gap is where I see a very real problem. And to build on kind of the thought of why I think the RCMP is not uh, well positioned to tackle this issue uh, is it comes down to it comes down to this perfect storm that's brewing, which is PTSD. And eventually, once you hit post-traumatic stress where you're in crisis mode or you're in fight or flight constantly through the day and you're experiencing all the symptoms, the insomnia, the cyclical thought, maybe some substance abuse issues, uh, you're having so much cynicism, you, you don't have any joy in your life anymore, you don't even have any positive emotions anymore, depression's a thing, uh, anxiety's there, panic attacks are there, all these things are happening, right? So you you are basically just overloaded with your environmental issues and you are just done. Now, you as a person who has gone through a career now as a police officer who have developed this potential us versus them lack of trust issue, when you're going through this, you now all of a sudden go, who do I turn to to get help? Do I go to the Mounties internally and say, hey, I'm not doing well? I'm going to be judged. My career is going to be judged. So I actually think that there needs to be a safe place outside of policing, outside of the RCMP, where members can go and they can finally, like you, put down your gear and say, I'm not okay, period. I need help. And this cannot come back to my employer. This cannot you know, go back to them whatsoever on any level, right? Because that that trust, right? We develop such massive issues with trust. And that's, and that's the part I somewhat get frustrated with is, and I've had some meetings with um, some very high up Mounties who I'm not going to name names because that's not how I roll. But again, the Mounties are still very concerned with let's handle this internally. Let's handle this internally. Let's not look for external supports. And I'm, you know, banging my hands on the desk being like, you guys, like, only until you go through this stuff in life and you leave and you start to heal, can you then look back with the the better, healthier perspective of, you know, where is the cure to this? And it's not actually internally, it's externally. Yeah, I, um, Nathan, I can't disagree with you more. Like you are bang on, nail right on, uh, you hit the nail right on, whatever, however you say that, nail on the head or whatever. Um, reason why I couldn't find my words is that it's just that I I'm so overly, I just agree with you. And I think this is where I, where I'm kind of picking up um, on this side of things is that I knew I, I recognize that we need safe places outside of our work to be able to go to an environment that uh, people can just go and feel like they can trust that they can just be around people or talk to somebody and not, have it get back. And that's what I've been doing uh, before I got involved with uh, um, with other things there is that I was just taking it on my own time. People would reach out to me all the time and say, hey, Barnick, like, what's going on? Like, when you went through this, what how, like, how did you handle it? Or, you know, where did you... So I just wanted to make sure that I'm, I'm, a, I'm arm's length from the RCMP. I call now what I'm called. I call people, or I say to every original, I'm uncodable. <laughs> so... You can come to me, and I don't have to. I don't. I don't have to turn around and say anything to anybody because, you know, um, you don't have to worry about that because 
I can say what I feel. I can give the advice from my own personal experience to them without having to have any repercussions from, from the organization. And hopefully that helps that other person make decisions for themselves. Absolutely. And that's, that's the beauty of, of healing, right? I mean, I was getting very passionate in that moment because I get very defensive towards how there's still this massive gap that just in 2022, we're still not addressing it, this component of proper supports for our members. And while as frustrating as it is for me to have this perspective in yourself and so many others who have now retired and, and gone through the journey of healing themselves and the very hard work that comes along with that, <laughs> they still look back and just go, oh my God, RCMP, get it together right? Listen, listen to your people that are now on the outside, listen to what they're saying, because they've walked a mile in those shoes, and then they've put themselves back together. And the, and and you and I have done a fantastic job of this. But again, I'm going to come back to you. So now your journey through the RCMP, we've painted this, this very deep uh, picture of what life looked like for you. Uh, substance abuse wasn't necessarily an issue, but the binge drinking definitely was. And that was a cultural thing that was used to hopefully, you know, maybe try to help out some of the, um, the harder emotions that came from, you know, the military over to the RCMP uh, and whether that continued or not, I'm not going to dive too much into it because I've spent a ton of time on substance abuse. So we all know kind of why it happens, right. And why addiction happens. Uh, but you go into the depths obviously of suicide and now the impacts within the family, the wife says to you, you need to go and get help. You recognize you start your journey in around 2014 uh, to about 2019, you buy some more time for yourself within the Mounties And then you get to a point where you recognize you're done. You've got to hang up the hat. And I think that's a really pivotal moment where uh, you recognize that you no longer can run the marathon. You know, you've, I think you've had now probably by that point, well over 20 years of service with the RCMP and the military. And you're recognizing that your overall health is not going to improve unless you take yourself out of that environment. And I want to talk specifically about the the fear behind realizing that you need to leave because you now have a life, an identity through service, through the military, through the RCMP. What kind of fear existed for you in that moment to go into your, not even just your colleagues, but your friends, the people that you loved, admired, and respected, and have that conversation? You know what? It was, uh, it, it was terrifying. Um, I came from a place of like, Oh, I'm not going to get involved in other people's stuff to make a career of it. And, you know, it's, it's called, you know, it's a duty, it's a duty to serve. And then when you were involved with that for so long, we often put ourselves on the back burner. We don't look at ourselves as number one anymore. We look at, you know, whether it be, you know, uh, on the military side of things, we look at, you know, on a, on an international scale or a domestic, even, you know, as country wise, a service to your country. So you're, you're serving, you're serving an ideal, you're serving something that's greater than you. Right. And then, and then when you join over to the RCMP or any police force, but for, for us, specifically the RCMP, our duty to our communities, um, Again, our, uh, we, we never, ever looked after ourselves we, because it was always service, service, to, service for the greater good, service so that 
your family, my family, our friends can live safely. And we wear that on their shoulders. And then all of a sudden you can't do it anymore. Then you're like, oh my God, you're terrified. You're like, what am I going to turn around and do? What? I'm going to look after myself. How am I going to look after myself? What am I going to do? How am I going to provide for my family? And then you get, then, then you go through self-doubt and then you're, you're, you can get into a depressed state and you're like, how can I turn around and be, if I can't be that, then how can I be anything else? Like, am I failing? And those discussions are very difficult to have. Um, it's, you know, my, my first side of, I only really discuss things with my spouse. She was, and my son too. My son, they were actually pretty excited when, when I finally turned around and said I was, I was done. You know, they, they wanted me home. They wanted to see me more. Um, you know, I, and then I, I look, I reflect back on things like, well, how can I get back to where I was when I was in my early twenties? And that's not a reality anymore. So that reality sinks in because now you have all this trauma built up the pressure cooker, like you turn around and said, and the first, and you think that when you retire, things are going to get better in my experience. And I don't know about anybody, mine, it got worse. It got worse. I got worse. I was, I was going, I was going nuts. I'd be nothing for me to lose my cool or whatever else like that. I then, I, then the work had to be start all over again. So I was like between my psychologist, my spouse, trying to, I'm trying to find, I'm, I'm trying to find my footing as a person, as a civilian again. And that's, that's the difficult part is trying to find a civilian. So I think hard work. Being open, being honest with yourself, having a very supportive back, uh, supportive uh, uh, team behind you. Uh, that could be your psychologist, your wife, your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, family, whatever you want, friends. My circle got really small. I made sure my circle got small, but it only could be around people that I trust. And then all of a sudden, I started healing. I started finding my footing. And then I hit another back road again. I'm like, well, I want to serve again. I want to be a police officer again, or I want to go and like, no, that's crazy. You're not going to do that. Then you're trying to find, then you're going to try to find your, where, what's my purpose again? And my purpose now is that I always want to help and I always want to serve, but now I can do it without red tape. I've got a nice long, I got a nice long leash. Uh, you know, the company I work for, Canada Connect, they, 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 they're very supportive of me. We're opening up wellness lounges. This is now how I can serve the communities. I want to serve the community of first responders and veterans and their families. Because if they're doing good, then that means they can serve their communities good. It's amazing how we beat ourselves up when we hit a place finally with first responder work where we know that we're at the end of the rope and we can't go on. There's not another day, not another hour that we can possibly go on in this role. It's just, it's done. And there is fear behind it, but eventually there's a higher, there's a higher degree of motivation behind the strength of that fear of walking away that absolutely overpowers the fear. And you walk in with this confidence that you've never had before. It is your, your, whatever you want to call it, your breaking point, your moment of strength. Uh, and you definitely hit that, uh, at one point in your career as well. And so many of us do. And it's really important for one to recognize that moment and not take it as a negative thing and not believe that you're not going to be able to go on from being a Mountie or a first responder and build a life beyond that. It actually gets better. And the interesting thing too, that I loved how you, you reflected on the authenticity of your own journey 
And the vulnerability was that when you actually stepped away, a lot of us think, oh, perfect. We're going to be retired now. We're going to, we're going to heal because we're out of the environment. And then all of a sudden the first day off, we're like, this is getting harder. This is getting harder. And I do believe it is designed that way so that it forces us to truly heal and look at ourselves. I mean, we're not even going to dive into the childhood trauma or this, you know, the adrenaline junkies that we become. But when you're at home and there's no stimulus around and you're an adrenaline junkie for 20 plus years of your life and there's nothing happening, it drives you up the wall. Yeah. Right. How many times can you empty the dishwasher? Uh, How many times can you clean the kitchen? How many times can you be an amazing dad? Veterans struggle with that when they first get into this space. Now you can learn to teach the body to move slower, you know, to find that pace, to get away from the adrenaline, to heal, to invite, you know, getting out of the space of fight or flight. And it sounds like you're doing a perfect job of that. So again, I'm not going to talk about that too much. I'm kind of going to aim to more towards the the point of how you now go from Mountie life to realizing that you can still actually serve and serve your people and serve them well without expectation whatsoever. That is hardwired into you as an individual and that is hardwired into many of us who become first responders. But now you're doing it through Canna Connect. And I'd love to hear how that transition happens. You know what? That tra- uh, that transition... Um... That's actually, I have nothing but pride uh, to turn around and say that um, I'm, I partnered with, I volunteer with uh, Canna Connect. Um, remember, uh, you know, when we got our badge, we were, so, we were so full of pride. You know, we're, we're the unstoppable new rookie Mountie and we're going we're gonna to solve all crime. Nothing but, nothing but pride. When I, joined, uh, when I joined on the team with Canna Connect, it was the same thing. Um, when I... Uh, to go back on that, when um, how I got involved with Canna Connect was uh, I was about to be retired. I was probably about six, six months out from retirement, and I, a buddy of mine, Dennis LeBlanc, we were in the military together, and we, uh, true brother, uh, we were privates, privates, and you know he walked up the ranks uh, his way, and I worked up mine the right way. I joined the police. He kept on doing what he was doing. We deployed on different deployments while we were in the military. I seen I seen I seen this post come up about can uh, connect. And I thought, what's this all about? What's this? What's what is my buddy Dennis into right now? So, anyways, I messaged him. Dennis, what's this can connect all about? He goes, he messaged me back. He goes, what are you doing now? I says, I'm actually being retired. He said, let's have a conversation on the phone. I actually wasn't even in the mood to have a conversation on the phone. I didn't want to talk to anybody. To be honest with you. But he's my buddy. He's my best friend. So I would, he was my brother. I'm going to give him the time. If it was anybody else, I wouldn't. I'm like, no, I don't want to talk. Called him up. He's like, Barney, what are you doing, man? I said, listen. I says, uh, buddy, I said, I'm just going through the process of retiring. He goes, well, this is what Canna Connect is all about. I said, okay, yeah, interesting. And I was, I was wanting to try, now that I'm getting out and I'm out, I was trying to look for alternative ways to deal with my, my PTSD and also my physical ailments too. Uh, I was interested with uh, cannabis. So anyways, uh, he said, Byron, check out these lounges. He said, come on up. Let's check. Come on up. And I'm, I was doing something on the, on the other end of it too. I was getting into the aspect of uh, uh, some different types of treatment that we'll probably talk about later on down the road. 
And he said, come on up and let's check it out. I uh, so he I went up to uh, Frederick uh, or up to New Brunswick. That's where he had this clinic. And I walked into this clinic and I thought it was going to be I've heard of them, but I didn't really know anything about them. And you can make anything look nice on a website. I walked into there and I was like, wow, this is something else. Uh, right off the bat, the languages speak for themselves. Nothing but wellness. They don't, they, you know, there's no holding of the product. There's no selling of the product. It's just an area that you can turn around and you can get a prescription if you want a prescription. But that's on the other side of the, on the other side of the coin. Um, and that we can speak about that too. But the wellness aspect of CanaConnect uh, is out of this world. Um, I walked in there and it was like Starbucks for for first responders and or, or I, something like, I I also coined it Legion 2.0. Freak uh, coffee, uh, juice. That's all that is offered there. The program that they provide for their veterans uh, and first responders at no charge. And the atmosphere is a very therapeutic, relaxing atmosphere. And the best part of them, one thing that really caught me about it, everybody forgets about families, the families that are attached to the veteran first responder. They go through, you can just, people can only imagine what they go through. They're the ones come, that first responder's coming home. They they actually got to deal with the first responder coming home. And um, so they're welcomed into these lounges and are also welcome to participate all, in all the programming. All the programming is free. Um, I, like I'll give you for like an example. Um, just in August there, uh, Canada Connect in uh, Sackville, uh, they were holding canoeing and, and kayaking on a lake. I go down there. I take my son with me. So there is that, there's uh, the veteran first responder participating in it. And the whole family's participating in it. And that's our wellness that goes along with that. They are, they are able to be taken part of that. It's also the atmosphere. Um, you know, there's lots of times uh, we go for coffee as, 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 as police officers. We go for coffee and we want to go and have a coffee for, for, for a break, before shift, after shift, whatever. Uh, but we got to always watch over our shoulder um, of what we're talking about. Because a lot of times general public just don't get it. It's not their fault, and I'm not upset with them for it. Same way as they shouldn't be upset with me. They're not, they're not living in my boots, and I'm not living in theirs. This is provides a space that first responders, whether you're RCMP, police officer, firefighter, paramedic, social worker, whatever, you can go there, and you can go there with no judgment, and you can talk or you don't talk, but know that your person that you're sitting there with probably has a pretty good understanding can turn around look at you and just listen to you and not say anything back and you're just able to get it off your chest that's what can connect is all about um and then also you know it's nothing but a place where you can uh go in and you can see other people what what other therapies have people been trying there's so many different therapies out there that no one knows about uh what and they're trying and so it's an information gathering hub Oh, you tried this? Oh, really? Tell me a little bit more about that. I don't know. That's how I got uh, got more education on the medicinal sides of cannabis. Reason why I don't have joint pain. Uh, the CBD really helped me at that time. Cannabis uh, really at that time helped me deal with the things that I turned around and needed to deal with and relax me. And it set me up for wellness. And now I'm trying other things for wellness. It's an information hub, and we also provide 
the ability to do if you're having a difficulty getting a prescription for medical cannabis, we can do that to the for the veteran first responder and we do all the work. It's nothing it's nothing on them. We you don't have we we deal all the the, the frontline work with things. So it takes the pressure off because you know people like us that have PTSD, uh, filling out a piece of paper can be very difficult for some. We take that we take that out of the, everybody's hands. We the only thing you need to turn around to is you just need to hop on a phone call or come in and see the doc when you need to come and see the doc and that's it. We look after everything else. So it's a community that we're building. That's that's the key thing. It's a community, and that's the best way I can describe Canna Connectica. I, and I think it's really important to recognize that uh, at a certain point in the journey with PTSD, the traditional means of promoting uh, healing or safeguarding your health, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, all that stuff, uh, the traditional lines of medicine may no longer work for you and they didn't work for me anymore. So when I hit that point where I needed an alternative uh, and I believe medical cannabis was something that would work for me, that was back in 2017 when it was just becoming legalized. Uh, I pursued actually reaching out to Canna Connect uh, as a customer and as a client trying to inquire about, you know, I'm at a point where I feel like the medication just isn't working anymore. I was having severe panic attacks daily, much like you. I was feeling like my my heart was failing. I was having heart attacks. I was vomiting at home while on stress leave. Uh, the Ciprolex wasn't working anymore. And my my options were to go on some very heavy duty uh, medicines. And I was I was not okay with that at all. Uh, and I've personally, I never did. Uh, I've only ever touched Ciprolex. Um, but I've, I've heard of some friends getting on antipsychotics, uh, and anti just a whole slew of like these, these really powerful medications. Uh, do they help? I think they do to a degree, but again, it's such a complicated issue. Uh, and I, I do believe that if we're in a bad place with PTSD, I do believe there is some kind of, you still need to be connected, right? You still need to have kind of, you know, a resemblance of who you are so that you can process some of the emotional pain, some of the trauma. And I, I do think at certain times the medication might be too powerful where it allows us to lead a life, but we're not really connected anymore either. And I like, I like the approach of cannabis because it, um, it allows you to to treat the amygdala, uh, to deal with a fight or flight, uh, to promote connection, and uh, a whole slew of other positive things. Now, my journey, and we've we've spoken very openly about this. I fall into addiction at one point, um, so I unfortunately put medical cannabis on my tool belt, and I didn't put anything else on my tool belt. So I wear that one. That is not a reflection of Canna Connect at all. Oh. Period. But that was my my journey. Now, the good story with that is that I eventually uh, get to a place where I've become very healthy now. So I do believe that this was all meant to happen this way. I don't have any regret about going down that road. Medical cannabis for me was an incredible tool. I believed in it so strongly that I believed that that was the only thing that I needed, uh, wherein lay the issue, right? Now... 
this and the stigma that comes along with this place too the you know former RCMP spending most of my adult life running from cannabis uh, as a child because at the time when you and I got in you you weren't supported to get into the mounties if you had used any drugs whatsoever cannabis was one so I stayed away from it for the most part I tried it a couple times when I was young but that was it I became a drug cop so I enforced the laws around cannabis and now all of a sudden in 2017 we're looking at it going oh there's there's some there's some evidence here that actually say medical cannabis is a good thing now the beautiful thing that's happened from that point is at that time i think and it could be wrong here but i think canna connect was a medical cannabis company looking at making sure veteran community had the right tools in place through cannabis medical grade cannabis to help them with their ptsd symptoms what i actually really love now fast forward to the current day and age is they're now taking a step further in going how do we change ourselves from a medical cannabis company into a company where we truly believe in community in connection in conversation in giving people all of the right tools the medical cannabis and or the treatment behind that in reinvesting in our veterans to thank them for their service and their sacrifice the company has grown to understand this on its own and i actually applaud you and Canna Connect immensely for this. This is how we help the veteran community heal. Yeah, um, you, you, you nailed it. Um, yeah, they, uh, it's always going to be, it's always, you know, the, the business side of things is always going to be based around the, uh, the cannabis side of things. Uh, however, it's, um, you know what, it's, it's, what you, it's what you do with things. And I think what Canna Connect realized is that they, when you give back to the veteran community uh, or for in first responder community, you're going to get that back tenfold. Uh, you're going to get that support because when they really do lead by example, uh, that's all I have to, I have to say is it's just, uh, yeah, it's three people that own it, but I'm going to tell you, they put their faith into every ambassador that is out there. And every ambassador just uh, believes in them because it's it's what they give it's what they give back. And when you when you give back the way they give back, um, you're gonna you, you'll have that you have that loyalty, and they want to keep on coming back because they're providing a wellness. These lounges, these lounges, they're just they're just it's it's a community. They they created a community, a supportive community, and it's amazing how they how how they how they did it. Uh, and it's, it gives empowerment, community, uh, support, friendship, um, everything that you need. That it gives you even additional tools to be able to help deal with yourself. I, I know, I know, um, first responders and uh, veterans that uh, come to Canna Connect uh, because they feel like they, I've got this. Took me a couple of times. I've done better work with myself in the last couple of visits than I did with my psychologist because I'm where I'm like-minded people and compassionate people, people with empathy. It allowed me to get my empathy back. I'll tell you that much. It was lost. Uh, well, and it, I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into that train of thought as well and paint a picture as to why that is because I, I've seen kind of enough people come on the podcast now and paint this picture as to, you know, and consistently it comes up. 
I always ask people, how did you get better? How'd you get better? How'd you get better? See if they, they understand it. Right. Uh, and everybody comes on and says, well, I got better because I started reconnecting with people in the community. I, I got away from the, the, the relationships with just law enforcement. Uh, and I started reconnecting with the community and meeting people within the community that had empathy for me and what I had been through or understood it or, or like-minded individuals now who are outside of service life who are focused on healing and when you can finally put together a tribe of people that not only understand you but can show up and give you the compassion and the empathy for what you're going through and understand maybe when you don't have the right words or you can't express what you're going through but they can see it you can start to heal through others and that's where the cure is it's in the community it's in the connection and it's in the conversation and the people behind this and we very much need to take that first uncomfortable step into healing by doing it with others and showing up and letting the emotions come with another human being. We are social creatures and I've long been an advocate for this. The best way to heal yourself is through others. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And the more spaces that we provide to be able to keep that community and have that community come together. That's, that's what we're, that's what we're all about. And that's what Canada Connect is about is primarily that community and that support. So your, your perspective, uh, I'd love to hear kind of your perspective on the, on the legions. And I, this isn't an opportunity to take the legion and what's, what's out there right now. Uh, but I've stepped foot in a few legions in my day. And I love how Canna Connect has shifted from the look and the feel of the legion that was from the 60s or 70s uh, in that time frame. And they're going for a much different look. They're not supportive of alcohol or cannabis or other substances on site they can get you the support to get access to medical cannabis if that's what you choose to do uh, but they promote this much different thing aside from the legion did you ever go to a legion and what was your experience with the legion as opposed to say some of the things that Canna connect are doing right now and and what are those stark differences what's the feedback you're getting from the people that uh, maybe have tried either or together or just uh, the, the new lounges that are in place right now across Canada? You know what? Um, I appreciate what you're, what you're saying about the legions. And I guess what we're talking about is the, the RCLs, the Royal Canadian Legions. Um, they, uh, they were good for their time. Um, I believe that they have lost focus. And what I mean by that is I think they have lost focus with veterans. I do have a few buddies uh, of mine that are very heavy into the Legion. Uh, They were either once a president or are currently a president of their local branches, and they do nothing but great things, okay? Uh, Because they are veterans. Uh, From the top part down, um, I find it hard to get behind something that is run by people that have no service. Now, you can turn around and say, well, Canada Connect is not run, is, uh, is owned by three people that have not served. And yes, you're correct. But the difference is, is that they allow and have trust in their veterans and ambassadors to run the clinics. Whereas the Legion has a very civilianized look on things. Uh, they believe in bringing in their revenues through, you know, their bars, okay, and they're, they're providing different functions. 
I also have an issue with, um, I can't talk about every legion, but I know there has been some legions that I brought up the credibility of service with some of the members. And I've actually found out that their service is not exactly what they're supposed to be. When brought up, nothing was ever done. So these are two things that I um, I was I was part of a legion at one time, um, and you know what I've seen some things go on. Uh, me, you know, me being questioned as a veteran, but I can't have the right to question their credentials as a person working for me or working with me. Um, so I believe that the legions. Um, that's why I call Canon Connect 2.0. It's about the veteran. It's for the veteran. It's what the veteran wants and what the veteran needs. I find the Legion has lost its way in that. Um, they need to restructure. They need uh, need to have people that are in their leadership roles. They need We need to have veterans in that. And I can also understand the aspect of them saying, well, we haven't had anybody stand up to the plate. It's hard to have anybody stand up to the plate um, when they don't, don't feel welcome. And when I was an Afghan vet, um, you know, we were shunned to the side a little bit, actually quite a bit. Uh, we weren't recognized uh, for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, you know, they, they wasn't the if if you didn't serve in World War II, I guess you weren't you, you weren't a veteran. I don't know. That's the, that's the mentality I had. But then I had that judgment come from someone that was a a relative of relative of relative of, of a veteran. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't get that. So they do do good work. Um, they do. There's a lot of uh, veterans that are out there that are participating with them that are doing great things. I give them hats off to them. Uh, they do, they're working for their community and they're continuing that service outside of their service. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I stand on it. I'm a kind of hot and cold with them. They need a restructuring. Uh, I don't think they're, they, the interest is, their interest is making money and try to, and not give the services that they are supposed to turn around and give. Whereas can connect, they give back hundred, they give, they give so much back and they provide these spaces that are therapeutic without the alcohol, without the gambling. You're not, you're not going to go into a can connect, uh, uh, wellness lounge and find VLTs. You're not. That's that's that that's feeding an addiction. The, the legion, and this isn't a conversation to paint a picture that the legion has no value. The legion has immense value, but I think uh, as we are growing in the space of understanding how to approach mental health for veterans, uh, we are finally having some innovation, uh, a different way of maybe doing things. And it's being tested currently live by Canna Connect. They're rolling out the lounges across Canada. Now, how many lounges are out there right now in Canada? And for some of the communities that do not have lounges, you know, is there uh, going to be an opportunity for those those lounges to also make it to the communities where they are not currently at? Yes. Um, short answer to that is yes. Uh, right now, I think we have about fourteen between fourteen and fifteen lounges uh, right across Canada, uh, right from uh, Newfoundland right out to uh, British Columbia. Uh, we are always constantly looking at expanding uh, and. 
obviously that's one of the roles that I've been, uh, you know, that I fill here is especially on the first responder aspect, our CMP aspect of things, um, you know, where would be strategically good places to uh, maybe place some, uh, um, place some lounges so that they can have access, access to. Um, there's, there's lots of talks. There, it, uh, there's, there's always, uh, if, there, if there's a need and we can fill that need, we'll put it there. Uh, for, those, uh, for those communities that are kind of a little bit far out of reach, um, there is an online. There is an online platform. Uh, this is actually Canada Connect started off on the online platform. To be honest with you, and then went to a, a brick and mortar wellness aspect of things. So the, we there is an online aspect of it too as well uh, that you can go on and you can. There's a uh, different uh, supports there that you can tap into as well. Um, I do want to just go back to the. Uh, I want to echo something that you said there. Um, I believe that the Royal Canadian Legion, the Legion itself, they can, if they're willing to adapt to the needs to the modern vet. That's, I do believe that. There's room, there's room for everybody to play in the sandbox here. There's, there's, there's lots of room. It's just that you need to be able to learn and learn and adapt. And we have, we have, we have a, we have two, we have, we have the, the, the veterans from like, you know the World War One, World War Two, hardest, hardest, hardest soldiers that you can ever turn around. I mean, you know what I mean. They fought for our freedoms, and they die for it. We wouldn't be doing what we're doing today without them. And you know, also got to remember the RCL was developed by veterans. It was veterans that had it. It wasn't. It wasn't the way it was. It was veterans that put it in. We just need to go back to those roots. And it's easier said than done. Do I believe it can be done? Yes. And we can all play in the sandbox together. The only difference is, is that we're we're adapting and we're adapting and overcoming. And there's a modern day vet that wants the mental health wellness. The key is the mental health wellness aspect of things. So I just wanted to kind of put that in there a little bit. There's plenty of room to play in the sandbox. It's just how you're going to learn to adapt and overcome. Oh, absolutely. And I think too, the important thing to recognize too, is you and I have gone through periods of significant compassion fatigue to the point where uh, we maybe look back and we don't like that person that we had become. So uh, we don't go back to that place. So we can honestly say, and I can say this too, in the moment, just from listening to you that, I mean, the love and support that comes for everyone in the sandbox, as you said, is there. This isn't a, a hard conversation of us disagreeing with what's there. It's, hey, let's let's do this differently because you and I have had such different experiences now what is some of the feedback that you're getting from uh, the people that are going into the lounges can we paint a picture of how it's actually helping people yeah actually I can um, this goes back to my role as far as the RCMP goes I've been in contact with various um, levels of, uh, of uh, management or leadership within the RCMP uh, from the constable uh, you know, up to inspector. Um, when I approach them, the first thing that I get from, from first responder, you, you kind of get, get the arm crossed. Oh, really? Okay. And, you know, get that judgment call. I don't really get into it that much with them. I said, listen, you trust me? Yes, Barn, we trust you. You know, I left on great terms. Like, it's not like I left and I, uh, you know, was I left kicking and screaming and cursing everybody out. I left really on good terms. There's no one that can turn around and say anything negative about me within within the RCMP. Maybe that could have been a little bit hot-headed, but that was about 
that was a different that was a different barn at that time. I tell them, you come to the lounge with me. I'm not even going to tell you anything about it. Go online, Google Canada Connect. You can kind of see what it's all about. And then you know what? I'm going to take you down because the lounges talk to themselves. So as soon as I get them through the front door, I get this. I even got this from an 80, uh, some uh, an RCMP vet that was like 70 some years old. They walk in, they're like, holy God, are you serious? Barn, I had my apprehensions about this, but as soon as I walked through and I felt nothing but safe, that's the environment that we're, that we're doing, right? I feel safe. That's everything. I support this, Byron. This is excellent. We need this space. That's for one visit in and having a coffee. So I went to have someone turn on being apprehensive. They said, well, Byron, you know, out of all eyes, I was just picturing uh, going in there and having a whole bunch of people token up and, you know, all the windows closed up and, you know, a bunch of bag of Doritos that are on the uh, on the table so you can satisfy your munchies. No, well, that, was, that was the feedback that I got. And I was like, and they're like, wow, we're going there. This is literally Starbucks for first responders and veterans. I put my stamp of approval on this. I'm telling everything about it, everybody about it. And we're slowly getting our CMP members coming in and trickling in, both retired and active. Beautiful. Now, current RCMP members have to be careful with uh, with the policies that are in place right now yep. with uh, with cannabis usage. So, uh, again, I'm not going to touch that one with a 10-foot pole. I think most members are pretty smart about where they're at and where they should be at with that. Uh, but it's it's phenomenal to hear that the supports are finally there. And I've long believed, and this ties into kind of that earlier thought that I had, where, you know, we have we have rehab facilities, we have our operational stress injury clinics out there, and those are great options. And I mean, let's talk about rehab too, even in the sense of you can go to rehab and not have addiction issues. There are trauma programs that are specifically designed for first responders to help them navigate and get through post-traumatic stress. So let's just, you know, clear that slate real quick because rehab tends to bring in this negative feeling or this, it becomes a bit of a dirty word, right? Um, there is such a significant gap in between the person that is in crisis, full-blown crisis, now looking at either OSI or rehab, uh, and the person that is slightly just before crisis where you're starting to be and i always make this reference the frog in the pot of boiling water and we need to capture opportunity for that person and i think these wellness lounges uh, are very much going to fill that gap where there is such a significant chunk of time where a person is now starting to kind of flounder and go down the path of ptsd but they really have nowhere to turn. They have nowhere to turn to express themselves, to connect with people, to learn, to educate themselves, to tackle the stigma of mental health issues from trauma. So my my complete uh, support, uh, and I applaud you for what you're doing. You found the answer, I believe. I, and I think these lounges are the a, a significant step in the right direction. You know, thank you very much, Nathan. I do. I, I just want to comment one thing, is that, and you're right don't want to touch this with a 10 foot pole. Uh, when I, I want to just go back to when I say like active members, I just really want to stress that at these lounges, okay, there is in regards to medicinal cannabis, there is nothing held on site. So there's no nothing held on site. And there's nothing being sold on site. That is, a, it's, it, it's a, it's a prescription is we provide a person, the avenues of getting a prescription. We don't even bring it in. 
that once the veteran or their first responder is uh, got their prescription and whatever else like that, all their product is sent to their home from the from the licensed producers. We're just providing the outlet. When you come to these uh, lounges, you all you are going to be getting is you're going to get whatever coffee you want, espresso, refreshments. A lot of times we'll have some you know other little bit of food on or whatever else like that. Uh, and we support other veteran businesses too, as well. Uh, whether it be coffee, uh, shirts, like clothing, like we, we support a lot of things. So I just really want to really put that, make sure that, you know, the veterans out there that are first responders, listen, when you walk into these lounges, you might see a little bit of information off on the corner about medicinal cannabis use. It's not foam. It's, it's, you can't even, you're not, we don't even allow uh, usage on site. That's, you need to go medicate at home. And remember, uh, the cannabis side of things, we look as, as a medicine. We're not looking at, this is not a rec use. You want a recreational use, you go to a rec, recreational store. Or like say here, for example, in Nova Scotia, you go to the Liquor Commission, you purchase your recreational cannabis there. And you go home and do that there. And But your med, even your med, med, medicinal cannabis, we look at it as medicine. It is medicine. It's prescribed as medicine. It's used as medicine. Can we shift to putting the spotlight back on you and where you're at in your healing journey? Uh, I'd love to hear kind of your reflections on how you've gone through recognizing what you went through with the military, the RCMP, and and now being an ambassador for Canna Connect uh, and where this has put you uh, to where you are right now in this this period in time a year after retirement because again this is very fresh we you've only been retired for a year not a lot of time has really transpired uh and if you look at the overall picture of you know 20 plus years of trauma and very hard a uh, hard life or hard miles i would expect your healing to be a lot slower than what it is but you you actually look and appear and i know you're doing very very well so let's let's hear from you kind of how you look at your own healing and where you're at right now you know what, even from the way I looked looked now or how I feel now and I feel then, I feel like a, an amazing, I, I, I've come full circle. Uh, I feel amazing. Um, I found a purpose. So I have a purpose. Um, you know, that's my purpose is helping. Uh, my purpose is still being able to provide to my community specifically, uh, veterans and first responders. Um, my home life is amazing. I you know, actually, you know, I'm expecting, I'm, I'm expecting a child here pretty soon. Uh, get, you know, a daughter, you know, so like everything is, everything is great. Um, do I have my ups and downs? Do I sometimes see like the other day, I see the plea day that the, the, the cop car going down with lights and sirens. I'm like, oh, you know, man, that was so much fun. But then I also remember all the paperwork that has to come afterwards. Right. Um, I feel I've been working on myself since 2014. Um, I feel like there's a lot of uh, first responders and veterans that are only been are only in the initial stages of helping themselves. I feel like I went through every stage, but I'm also open to alternative therapies too. Um, I'm not a cookie cutter type of a guy. Uh, I never I never went down that road. I'm not saying it's not a place for the, the cookie cutter. I'm not saying that's not a place for people to go down. Like as far as like pharmaceuticals go um i just stay try to stay away from pharmaceuticals because of the zombie effect that i've seen from so many of my buddies uh, 
cannabis is another i was open to cannabis uh, i was all i done uh, i done things like uh, ketamine assisted therapy uh which was a very huge success uh that's a whole different topic to talk about i'm a very big supporter of the trials for psilocybin um i think that's going to be another another avenue that we're going to be turn, uh, taking a look at so if you're i was able to heal myself by keeping my mind open and doing the work people got to realize it's work and i had a mentality at first you broke me you fixed me what that's not the mentality to have i had to take responsibility for myself and my own well-being and when you turn around and start doing that and then putting the work in it's a lot of work you're going to have slips you're going to have falls you're going to have regression in your like regression back you got to you got to be able to do that so if you're willing to take that on and do the work like I was and be open to alternative therapies, anybody can beat this. Seriously, you can. I, I, I do. I went from looking down the barrel of a of, of a nine millimeter to being in the best. I think I, I think I think I'm better now than I was when I was in my early 20s. I, I that's where I'm at in my life. I have to agree. With you, I didn't know you were in. I didn't know you in your twenties, uh, but I know the pain and suffering that comes from the darkness that happens when we hit those those rock bottom moments in PTSD. And you, you, my friend, have done the work, uh, and you have to. You have to be prepared to do it. The alternative therapies, uh, and it's something I'm very open to now. Uh, I haven't done it myself. Cannabis was only the the only alternative therapy I had used. But you nailed it. You you don't get to rely on this as a crutch, like it's going to cure you. It's going to cure you. What it's going to do is it's going to allow you to start your healing journey and allow you to see what your trauma looks like and allow you to experience some of the hard emotions that came from that moment that may never have been processed and allow you the space to do that and heal from that. And it's incredibly challenging uh, work. But like you said, the amount of gratitude that you now hold in this space to to move beyond that place into where you're at now, waiting for your daughter, uh, having a healthy marriage, uh, being a, a positive role model in the community and, and the leader amongst men, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I got nothing but love and time for you, Byron. So thank you for putting in the time and believing in yourself. Well, thank you very much, Nathan. But I also want to turn around and throw a shout out to you because what you're doing is also leading by example and leading the way because you're using your platform to bring awareness to something that is some quite frankly is is only being started to talk about now so like nathan i get a lot of inspiration from you as well uh from even from a short time so you know what you're doing in this community uh, in this whole community is priceless and I, you need to keep this going too as well. So whatever you feel for me, I feel right back at you because, you know, brother, uh, we need people like yourself and your platform that you're doing here too as well. I appreciate it. <clears throat> We're going to keep the lights on in this house for some time. That's for sure. Uh, everyone, it's been an absolute honor, Byron, to have your time. 
to hear your perspective, your journey through PTSD, and now you've now found uh, the ability to continue to serve the community just in a much different role and one that ignites the heart and allows you to have that compassion and that love and to serve people in a different way, like you said, without the red tape. Uh, Before we close off, do you have any kind of hopeful words or any kind of wise advice from your journey to where you've gotten today that you would love to share with others? Yeah. Be patient and don't beat yourself up. Uh, take the time, recognize that you're going to fumble, but realize, but it's picking, it's picking when you fumble that ball, it's picking it back up and, and moving and moving ahead. Uh, the biggest thing also be accepting. You got to accept what you've turned around and taken in uh, for everybody out there. You know, you've endured you, you've endured so people that went through traumatic first responders, veterans, you have been dealing so much with uh, the negative sides of society and you've been, you, we often lived in chaos. Remember that you can get strength from that. Um, I often turn around and say, my, my, one of my buddies said it perfectly to me, Byron, you went through what other people could not take strength from that and gather the strength from that, knowing that you if you persevere, persevere through that, you can persevere through this. But also, don't accept the hands of help. If there's someone that's reaching out and wanting to help you, it's not because they want something back. They just legitimately want to help you. So take that hand and take the help. And I've done that. And now I'm ready to pay it forward. So I will jump down in the trenches with anybody because I know how to get out of those trenches. And I can help guide And other people like me can help guide anybody out. Grace and trust, my friend, two important things that we need to learn in this journey. And then once we get well and we're on that healing journey, we need to turn around and lend our hand to others. Yeah. Everyone, that's Byron McLean on a very important mission here to make sure not only awareness is spread throughout Canada for all of our veterans, our RCMP veterans and military, but to promote healing. Thank you, Byron, for your time. Thanks a lot, Donate. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity, my friend. 